Okay, everyone, a big hello to all our listeners. Uh, today, we're going to be talk, uh, covering digital transformation. Um, as you all know, digital transformation has become a buzzword of sorts today. However, it means different things to different people. Uh, I, today, am joined by Eric Gordon, a former CIO, an entrepreneur, and an advisor to firms currently undertaking their IT transformation journey. Very exciting to have you, Eric, today. Um, he's going to help us understand this whole digital transformation thing better. Um, Eric, let's just dive right into it. And first of all, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure, our pleasure. Um, so Eric, in your opinion, what would you classify as digital transformation? Well, that's a good question, Sapan. And, and I tend to view digital transformation a little more broadly than, than many people. And, and for me, it includes all of the people, process, and technology changes that you need to make to create a new business capability. And that could include consumer-facing digital sales. It could include automating and streamlining internal processes. It could include analytics and BI to speed decision-making and the precision of operations. So for me, digital transformation is the melding of technology, people, and processes to enable business outcomes. And I presume it's uh, industry agnostic. Uh, absolutely. Applicable to any industry and even applicable to any size business. I mean, I do a, a lot of work in my advisory work with, with, with private equity portfolio companies in the, in the mid-size space across all industries. And so it, it, it isn't just for large corporations. It isn't just for people who spend a lot of money on technology. If you apply the right guiding principles and stick to a plan, small and mid-sized businesses can be highly digitally aware and create very effective operating processes and capabilities. So then um, as you help organizations go through this journey, this transformation journey, uh, what do you typically see as the biggest hurdles or where do people get stuck? I think that, I think the, the, what I see, the biggest challenge is people can't picture the end state. And, and by that, I mean, you know, in any project, in any journey, you have to have a clear idea of where you're heading in order to stay on the path to achieve some new capabilities. Okay. So I, I spend a lot of time working with people to paint a picture of here's how things could be. And once they understand that, then we back up to and as is discussion say, well, here's how things are today. Here's where you have friction in your operating processes. Here's where you're lacking the data. Here's how you could be using technology to engage your customers, both from a marketing and inspiration perspective, as, as well as from a transacting perspective. So I, I see the, the, the biggest hurdle is establishing kind of that in-state picture and vision and then mapping all of the people, process, and technology impacts along the way. Okay. Uh, anything else? Well, I think, you know, once, once you can establish that, and, 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 and often, often that's not easy. It depends a lot on corporate culture and people's backgrounds and experiences. But once you can establish that, then you've got to involve people and you have to involve cross-functional teams of people to realize your digital transformation capabilities. And that involves a lot of change management. Uh, it involves uh, people from all functional areas and you've got to create a cadence and a collaborative way of executing and operating 
the changes in your business, including technology. So business, again, process, technology, and, and people changes to actually incrementally make your way down this path. Rarely do I see that these digital transformation journeys are big bang events. You know, they're always, they're always a, a kind of an ongoing effort to improve, increase your speed, increase your precision of execution, continuing to engage customers. So they involve kind of a continuous agile or iterative type of process. So, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. In fact, uh, I'm thinking of where we have been involved in supporting our customers through this journey and where we've seen a lot of hiccups is um, through sort of things happening in silos. So, so the business might pick up a solution that might seem super impressive, super sexy, et cetera, but then often IT is not involved or possibly another supporting function is not involved. And, and then you see these things fail. Um, you know, what, what's, what's your view on that? I mean, is, is that part of the change management process or the cross-functional teams? Uh, uh, you know, where sort of do you see that fit in? Because this is, this is probably where a lot of great software or great uh, tools, uh, you know, just don't get adopted. Well, that's, that, that's a great point. And, and what you're seeing in the industry is enterprise software providers have shifted their sales strategies to focus on business leadership. Right. And if they can, if they can, if they can sell the C level on on their capabilities, then then part of the messaging is usually, well, hey, you don't need IT. You know, our software is configurable. Uh, it's it's end user owned and operated. And and you know that approach is effective from closing a deal perspective, but it is very it is very dangerous and it's just it's very ineffective when it comes to actually making a company be successful. Uh, you have to include IT, if nothing else, to, to make sure that whatever digital or new capabilities you're building, whatever technologies you're implementing, actually work and can coexist within the fabric of the rest of the IT ecosystem of a company. These things, IT doesn't sit in a vacuum. IT is part and parcel to almost everything a company does today. And, and, and I, think, I think kind of the, the scenario that, that you're mentioning is comes from, from a lack of vision. People don't really understand that, that, that they need to bring everyone along during the, even this, the visioning and the solutioning, as well as the implementation phases of these projects. That's a, that's a great point. Um, so in fact, most of our listeners uh, are at some level involved in their digital transformation journey. Um, so what advice uh, would you offer to ensure a certain level of success, and I know success comes in, in, you know, can be sliced many ways, but, you know, just uh, just fundamentally the do's and don'ts or some these things you have to keep in mind and, be, and, and some, you know, you're going to gain some success by doing them. What do you feel? Well, well there's, there's, there's several things. We've kind of, we've kind of covered some of them so far today, right. but, but I would, I would, I would reemphasize a, a couple of things. What you're, what you're really attempting to do as a company, as a business, is create a capability that, that enhances value, business value, either, either through increased EBITDA or, or just increased enterprise value or speed or you know, some, some, some sort of business value driver. And so you always, always should link your, your, your technology and business changes to what's going to create the most value. So that, that, that would be the first thing. A lot of people lead with technology. A lot of people get 
sold tech on, on the benefits of a particular vendor solution or technology, and they kind of lead with that. But they forget to bring along the people in the process uh, components of it, because all three are essential to create a business capability. So you have to think about that in terms of just all of those elements working together. So that, that would be number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, I would say it's the cross-functional buy-in. You have to bring the organization along, paint the in-state picture so everyone understands the direction you're headed, what the in-state looks like, and you could start to you can start to bring along their ideas and, 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 and they'll surface some, some challenges and some friction points al- along the way that will help you avoid pitfalls, pitfalls later. Um, so you need to kind of plan for a process of, of maybe some resistance in certain areas and, 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 and just work to identify those and find solutions and work through them on, on the journey. It can't be any, any digital transformation, whether it's consumer facing web, whether it's business analytics, whether it's process automation, n- none of these things can exist in a vacuum. They all have to have the buy-in and participation of, of the entire organization. Um, and, and then I would say, I would say finally, you need to take a holistic look at, at, at your cost structure. You, you need to understand that a digital transformation is about creating value. Value can be measured a lot of different ways. It, what it costs to create the capabilities is about more than just the cost of the software. It's, it includes maybe some process change. It includes maybe some reskilling, maybe some reimagining an organization structure in order to better align with, with the value that you're looking to create as a business. So there, there are a lot of things that go into that. And, and I think I find in my work, and, and I know we run across, across a lot of this with our clients, is that, is that if they don't have the experience doing this, they, they definitely should reach out and, and, and get some perspectives on how to think about the end state, how to organize their initiatives, and how to drive for execution. That's a, that's a great point. Uh, the other thing, Eric, I have noticed, and again, would love to get your sort of thought on this is that often, uh, even in the cost uh, side, um, people miss the running cost, uh, not just the maintenance, et cetera, but just the running uh, of a new initiative or a new um, tool, because once it's implemented, there's, a, there's always cost involved in keeping it going, right? Well, well that's absolutely right. And, and you know, I, is, you know, m- many of our listeners will, you know, understand that, that, that software solutions providers have moved to cloud-based software as a service platform, as a service capabilities. And what this has done is it's, is it's shifted a lot of the purchasing of technology from a, from a capital side of, 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 of the financial statement over into just an ongoing OPEX. Now, the benefits of that are that you're almost forced to stay current. You, you no longer can implement a solution and then, and then just let it sit, not touch it, sweat that asset for eight right. years, you know, while you, while you, while you run your depreciation out. I mean, that's not how it works today. Today, almost all modern technologies are OPEX heavy, which means that if you're a business that's owned by private equity and you've got, you know, operating or EBITDA measures, uh, more and more of the EBITDA hit is going to come due to technology because technology is now everywhere. So understanding how these costs shift 
and understand it just makes it even more important for a business to stay focused on uh, their business value drivers. You know, if, if, if you're going to take a larger OPEX hit because of uh, technologies that you are implementing or have implemented, then you need to make darn sure that you're achieving the value. And, and, and that's, that's something that, that people overlook. They do technology for technology's sake or finish a project to finish a project. And, and it just, it, they lose that connectivity, that connectivity with what really is moving the business. Right, that's a great point. Um, I'm gonna switch gears a little bit um, and talk about this new concept that we've been hearing a lot of lately, which is called the virtual captive. Um, uh, at least uh, it's, it's becoming a lot more prominent in the last two years. Um, how, how do you feel that the virtual captive can help companies with their digital transformation journey? Well, I, I, think, there are, I think there are a couple of things. Um, and, and, the, and these are very, very important uh, to consider. Right? So, so first of all, that the idea of a virtual cap is not, not really a new concept. It's, it's just now becoming more common um, as companies have gone through really a traumatic, you know, COVID experience recently and are now emerging from this whole COVID experience. It shaped how, uh, how customers engage businesses and, and buy things. And so a lot of, a lot of companies are, are struggling with that, you know, hence, you know, hence their desire to, to, to do more digital transformation projects. So Eric, do you think, is it, is it because people know how to manage remotely better? Yeah, I think it's I think it's because people know how to manage remotely better. Customers expect more buy online, pick up in store type capabilities. I mean, you can't go to a grocery store today and and without having to dodge, you know, basically warehouse, you know, carts of people picking orders for, you know, for for customers that have that have purchased online and plan to pick up. And True. and and so that's that's changing a lot of businesses. True. So sorry, yeah, uh, you were you were mentioning how. Uh, how so agreed that the concept isn't new. I think it's uh, people have understood it better and, and are starting to leverage it better. Uh, but how how can a company leverage it? Um, you know, in, in a in a meaningful way through their digital transformation journey. Well, you know, here's here's why it's important. Um, and that because the, the more technology becomes embedded with business processes, the more technology then becomes part of the ongoing business as usual changes that are required to keep up with changing customers, changing business conditions. So a business, no, a business can no longer implement a technology system and then just run itself without touching technology, you know, for, for the next several years. Now, technology is embedded with process. It's embedded with BI and analytics. It's embedded with consumer facing digital. It's embedded in a lot of different ways. So as the business needs to change and evolve, they, everything becomes partially a technology project. So what that means is you have to have the talent, you have to have the skills, you have to have the capability to iterate and evolve your operating capabilities using technology. One and done projects are, go are over. Those are, those are how, how, how technology was run 20 years ago. Today, as a business evolves and changes its website and needs to, needs to attract new and different customers, there's an ongoing churn of technology capabilities that must be built, must be maintained, must be enhanced in order to, in order to do that. 
Well, that takes people mm-hmm. and that costs money. And so right. this is where the virtual captive comes into play. If, if you need these teams and you need these people with these skills on an ongoing basis, they're, they, they're always going to be needed. Well, then why not put them in a virtual captive and use the, use the cost advantages you gain by doing that to get very talented people that can drive value for your business at the lowest total cost of ownership. That's kind of the magic of what a virtual captive can do for you. Right. And they're effectively your people, right? It's just they're sitting somewhere else. So you got, you got full control of what they do and how they do it, right? Well, it works. They work just like any other remote team. Yeah. And, and, you know, companies today are competing for talent in the U.S. on a national market. So, you know, if you go to hire, you know, say, you know, you live in, you know, let's say you, you live in, in Dallas, for instance, you, you tr- try to hire a technology person, you're, you're now competing with people, with companies from California that are trying to hire Dallas-based employees to work remote. I know there are, there are a, a sizable amount of Walmart employees, you know, corporate employees here in the Dallas market. And so given the fact that the, that the talent market in the U.S. has become national, it's, it's, it's forcing companies to look elsewhere to meet their talent needs. And, and a virtual captive setup in India is, is, a, is a perfect way to tap that, that talent pool in India for these, for these, these, these capability building you know, digital, you know, efforts, whether it's BI skills or, or, or web skills or process automation skills or, you know, or, or, or something else. It's just, it's a perfect model to do that. So then do you think the virtual captive, given the cost advantage, uh, you know, it's an opportunity for an enterprise uh, to invest in newer technologies at a significantly lower cost structure. Um, do you, do you feel that virtual captives can um, sort of facilitate uh, the, the process of you know, getting into the next-gen technology adoption or, or even um, you know, the, the new age stuff that we're talking about, whether it's blockchain or uh, you know, metaverse, et cetera. Do you, feel, um, do, do you feel the virtual captives can uh, sort of assist in those areas as well? Uh, a- absolutely. I, I, I think those happen to be the areas where I think a virtual captive works best because in many cases, adopting newer technologies involves a certain, a certain amount of trial and error, if you will, a certain amount of, of R&D. Uh, every company is a technology company. And you know, that's what the, the private equity firms I work with you know, now say. Everyone they buy, they view as a technology play and how can they leverage technology? Well, sometimes it involves an, a, an amount of experimentation. So, so you can get that uh, on, uh, on, a, on a more cost-effective basis uh, by leveraging something like a virtual captive. And, and in many cases, companies, and I, I see this happen all the time, business leaders look at the cost of domestic resources, especially technology resources, as huge barriers to doing things. And so many times they just don't do things because they, they can't afford it. They can't afford to keep those technology resources uh, on on an ongoing basis, and you know the virtual captive, and, and you know kind of what how that model works, just brings a tremendous amount of capability and capacity at a much. It's just a fraction of the cost, so it, it just opens the doors for a lot of things. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense, Eric. Um, thank you so much. We have 
almost run out of time. I do want to sort of um, ask you one one last question. Um, you know, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you to discuss any of uh, your thoughts, et cetera, in the future, uh, what would be the best way to reach you? Well, you can you can reach us off the off the Versate website at info at versate.com. You can reach me at uh, eric.gordon at versate.com um, or, or through the Systems Plus website. Uh, we've got plenty of case studies. We've got plenty of, of, of really, really rich content and material that, that we can use to help people uh, def define their end states and, and develop their journeys and, and make themselves successful with their digital transformation efforts. Fantastic. Thank you once again, Eric. I think, uh, I think our listeners will really, really appreciate your thoughts and some lot of fantastic insights. So thank you once again, Eric. And uh, thank you to all our, all our listeners. Um, until next time, talk to you then. Thank you. Thank you.